You're listening to the ModernDogTrainer.net podcast, bringing you the best industry tips and topics for professional dog trainers worldwide. Now here are your hosts, Ines Gachot and Kat Camplin. Hi there, welcome to the Modern Dog Trainer podcast. I'm Ines McNeil, founder of the Modern Dog Trainer blog. And I'm Kat Camplin, contributor to the blog and co-host for the Modern Dog Trainer podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk to Rachel... Oh, you might have to pronounce that last name for me. <laughs> From uh, San Diego Animal Training. So how do you say your name? Uh, it's Rachel Golub. It's, it's always been challenging. I remember being a kid and people calling me Glob. Um, so, you know, don't, don't worry about it. I'm completely used to it. But yeah, it's Golub. It's, a, you know, a, a, a Polish-Israeli uh, name. So it's kind of hard to pronounce. Awesome. Yeah. Well, my... my uh, maiden name is Gacho, so it's French, so people have always had a trouble uh, pronouncing that as well. So Yeah. <laughs> well and then goes. and then Dylan, who's my business partner and life partner, his last name is Horger. So wow. we both have like two extremely difficult to pronounce last names. So we're both pretty um, good at at least pronouncing it for other people and teaching them <laughs> how to say it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Great. So thank you for joining us today. Um, can you give us a little bit of background on you and kind of all the species you train? Yeah. So, um, my, you know, I'm a certified dog trainer. I'm also a certified dog behavior consultant. Um, I started working with animals officially, um, in 2008, um, I got offered a job at a local humane society. Uh, originally I was working in the adoptions department. Um, and after doing that for a few months, they actually promoted me to behavior department, um, where I did, you know, most of the temperament testing, which now they call it behavior assessment, which I like a lot more. Um, I worked with cats and rabbits and dogs. Um, after I left there, I started working with mostly just dogs. Um, and then I started working with parrots, um, cats. I've worked with some livestock, so pigs, uh, horses, goats. Um, now I've worked also with birds of prey. Um, we kind of do everything. But, you know, my mo main focus is mostly just dogs with severe behavior issues. That's kind of my passion. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so do, do you have a favorite species because you're working with dogs primarily? Is that your favorite or is there something magical about a different species that you love? Um, I mean, I really love working with the dogs. That's, I mean, every, pretty much every dog trainer that I've ever met has said, you know, they've had a love of dogs since they were kids. And that definitely was the case with me. I had a, a dog from when I was really young that I grew up with that was my best friend. And then I ended up, you know, adopting a bunch of different dogs with a bunch of different behavior issues. So um, dogs are definitely my main passion. Um, but I really also enjoy birds. Um, I, my husband does a lot of parrot consults because um, he's a certified parrot behavior consultant. And I do like them, but I'm more actually interested in like chickens, <laughs> which is um, something that <laughs> is not exactly um, glamorous, uh, but chickens are kind of my, my other passion. Um, I got involved in rescuing roosters from cockfighting rings. Oh, um, yeah. So, you know, that's another angle of my life that I, I really am passionate about. But I also, you know, love working with birds of prey, um, owls, falcons, hawks. Those are all really exciting, too. Wow. That's, that's so cool. Awesome. Have you been yeah. to a have you been to a chicken camp? Um, I have not. You mean like the Bob Bailey? Yeah, or, or Terry Ryan does one too. Yeah, no, I haven't. I've seen the videos. Um, 
I think Dylan's done some stuff before for them, um, but I haven't actually gone to a camp. I have clicker trained chickens before. Um, I've done, you know, like the agility courses and color discrimination. Um, what's really interesting is I, I actually got hired to do an aggression consult for a rooster. <laughs> <That's> um, <awesome. laughs> so, you know, I, I still do behavior issues even when it's chickens. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, so I know that San Diego in California is a pretty competitive area for dog trainers. Um, so one of the questions I had was how do you set, you know, your business apart from all the others in the area? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I, I'm more in the north end of, of San Diego, which kind of helps because it seems like the majority of everyone is really concentrated more in, uh, like central San Diego. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the nice thing is we have a pretty good network of dog trainers and we all kind of refer each other clients. Um, so if there's something that's not my specialty, I have no problem referring it out to someone else that I know that's in, you know, my network um, that's really good in that area that I may not, you know, have the time for or be an expert in. Um, but I also, I work really closely with animal control. So whenever they get um, a pretty severe bite case, they tend to refer it to me. Um, and then really, honestly, the majority of my business comes from word of mouth. Um, I've been kind of in the same area for eight years now. So, uh, you know, I work with a couple of clients, they end up being really happy and they refer me to their other people, you know, other friends and so on and so forth. Um, I do a little bit of internet advertising, um, but I don't, that's not really the majority of it. I think um, what kind of sets me apart and our business apart from everyone else is that we do specialize in just the severe behavior issues. So I like doing obedience, but it's not really something that's my passion. Um, I would rather send them to someone else that, you know, really is passionate about, you know, competition obedience or rally or stuff like that. Right. Um, so I can, you know, more focus on the aggression stuff, which is really what I think is my forte. Awesome. Yeah. No, that sounds great. Um, it's great that you have a network of trainers. That's something that, um, I think a lot of people work towards, but it doesn't always happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard because um, everyone has, you know, their they're worried about losing business if they, right. you know, network, um, when actually we can actually help each other's businesses. You know, I have, um, I do board and train programs, but I may not always be the best fit for someone that wants to do a board and train. So I'm really lucky to have a couple of other trainers that I know that are really good that I can say, well, this facility might be a better option for you. And I don't worry about losing business because I know that they'll send me someone too. So it's, you know, it's a kind of a, um, symbiotic relationship with everyone. Absolutely. Um, and so one of the other questions I had was, um, you're certified through the CCPDT and IAABC. What made you decide to get certified through those? Um, so I originally, I got my CPDT um, KA, I think in 2011. Um, and, you know, that's kind of like the gateway, I think, for certifications for dog trainers. That's right. the, you know, the standard, I think. Um, so that's the one I definitely decided to go through. I would have loved to have gone through Karen Pryor, but I didn't have the funds at the time. Um, and then when I really started getting serious about aggression, I mean, I've been working aggression cases since I worked at the shelter, right. um, which I don't think I necessarily, you know, if I could go back in time, I probably would have given myself some more time, but that's just what I get, you know, I got calls about all the time. Um, but what's hard with aggression is there's so many, um, of the aversive trainers that do aggression cases, you know, and they can say, oh, I can, ma you know, wave my magic e-collar wand and fix your dog in a heartbeat, <laughs> um, and that's, you know, I end up getting these clients that have gone through that, but then they're like, well, how do we trust you that you're not going to hurt our dog? 
Um, and I right. said, well, you know, I want to make sure that I'm credentialed so that I can say, look, I subscribe to Lima, you know, the least intrusive minimally aversive um, because I'm certified through this organization that makes sure that we all understand that, you know, shock collar is not your first line of defense. That is like, you know, the absolute worst thing that you can use. And you want to make sure that if you're going to use it, that you're using it very responsibly. And, you know, I in eight years haven't used an e-collar, thank goodness. But um mm-hmm. You know, that's part of why I wanted to get certified through IABC is because they do have such a strong stance um, on that. And it kind of adds some weight to, yes, I do work with aggression and yes, I do know what I'm doing. Um, Eventually, I'd like to do the behavior consultant course through the CCPDT. Um, but that's, you know, I want every letter after my name I can have. Basically. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm greedy in that way. So <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I think that's kind of a goal of a lot of dog trainers, um, at some point. I mean, it's, it's a great way to differentiate yourself. Um, yeah. and how do you believe like that those certifications have helped you grow or promote your business? Um, I think well, it's it's hard. There, and there was a debate about this recently in uh, one of the dog trainer forums I'm a part of is, you know, whether the certifications actually matter to the general public. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, the general public isn't really educated on um, what options they have when it comes to dog trainers. You know, they see what they see on TV and that's pretty much it or on billboards. Um, so, I take it upon myself that every dog event that I go to, if someone starts trying to talk to me about dog training, I make sure to bring up certifications and say, you know, it's important that someone is certified because that means that they have a code of ethics that they subscribe to. It means they've put in a certain amount of hours. They've had to have referrals. Um, You know, in the case of the CDBC through um, IABC, you have to write um, case studies. You have to do example scenarios and behavior plans. And it's something that's really, um, it makes sure that you're, everything is in line that you know what you're talking about for all kinds of things not just um, reactivity not just obedience so um, I think it's helped my business in that I'm now I can say like look I'm certified I I know what I'm talking about I'm not just making stuff up or I didn't watch Susan Milan on TV and now think that I know how to train dogs Um, but I think some there's still kind of a, a gap in the public where they just don't know that that's something that you can do that they don't know that you can get a certified dog trainer they think it's just you know joe blow and his um you know truck driving by and saying look i can fix your dog you know right yeah so you do the board and train was that a natural progression out of like in-home privates or what made you decide to open a facility and how was that process well so it actually started um through my uh, associations with different rescues um, that's one of the things that's kind of people don't really understand is when do- pe- when these rescues pull dogs from shelters, they usually send them straight into a boarding facility um, because they don't have enough fosters and they have you know a certain time limit that they have to pull dogs from the shelter before they're euthanized. Um, so a few of the rescues were like, you know, we would love to board these dogs with you to get some training before they go into their foster homes. Uh, so I, I started taking you know two dogs at a time at our old. Uh, we lived in Valley Center, which is a small little rural community. That's actually bigger than the rural community we're in now, but, um, you know, I, I only had space for two dogs, so we started doing two dogs at a time, and I was, you know, booked out months in advance from that, um, from the rescue, and then I started offering it to my private clients as well. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Deering English is actually one of my <laughs> boarding yeah. clients with, with Banana, so he was Banana. actually one of our, I know, he's my favorite dog. Um <laughs> 
don't tell my own dogs that they're going to cry. But, um, <laughs> you know, it started that way. And then when we started getting really busy, we just didn't have the space for everybody. Um, so we started looking for new properties. We ended up finding the one that we're at now, which is, you know, 30 acres. And it's still relatively small. We only take um, a maximum, I think, of four dogs at a time. Uh, we have two big areas. Um, they're indoor, outdoor. So they're two barns. Uh, and then they have enclosed yards, too, because that's one of the things with boarding um, I don't like is most boarding facilities, it's just chain link dog runs, you know? Right. Um, so the the dogs end up being stressed. They don't feel like they're in their home environment. So that was something I really wanted to uh, avoid here. I wanted to make sure it felt kind of homey um, so the dogs wouldn't be super stressed. They could still, you know, feel like they're in their home when they're not at their home. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a long process. Um, finding a, a facility that's far enough away from uh, everybody so that if there's barking and stuff like that we don't get noise complaints but also being close enough to civilization so to speak so that we actually get people that want to drive out to us uh, right. is a little bit difficult and we're still you know 30 minutes from a major town um, but I think when people come out here it's really interesting they have you know these really reactive dogs that are hypersensitive to every single sound and movement and they get here and it's like uh, a deep breath, you know, they just, the sigh of relief, they, it's calm here. There's no, um, city busy traffic. There's not a ton of ambulances and car noises. It's, you know, just peaceful. So that I think really enhances the training, um, because it's such a peaceful area where they can just relax, you know? Yeah, that's cool. So do you do board and train with birds and parrots as well? We, that's one of our goals for the future. Um, you know, this property is so massive and there's so much work to be done on it that we're kind of just taking it one step at a time. Um, but, you know, that is something, uh, Dylan had something, um, the birdie boot camp is what he calls it, um, <laughs> where, you know, because he's a positive reinforcement bird trainer. So, right. uh, you know, he would love to, to offer something like that for people where they don't have the time to necessarily put in the day-to-day -day work to get their, you know, bird more socialized other people, you know, not so focused on them. Um, so I think that might be one of our long-term goals. Um, it's just right now we're split so thin on everything <laughs> that it's, yeah. uh, you know, we're dipping our toes into like a million different things as is. So for sure. Um, what are some things that someone should maybe be aware of before they decide to open up a facility for themselves? Um, definitely make sure that you have the clientele built up first. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think that's one of the mistakes that I've, I've talked to a few trainers that have opened up facilities, um, and they, you know, were really excited. They got their certifications. They've been training for a few years and then they think if they have a facility, it's magically going to bring them clients. Um, and I don't really think that's the case. I think you really should build up a good client base first, um, and really understand, you know, what, what your area needs and try and fit those needs. So if you're living in an area where they need more group classes because no one offers group classes, then offer the group classes. Um, if you think they need more board and trains that aren't aversive based, um, because that's the most common type of, you know, board and train and boot camp is, right. you know, mostly aversive, then, then do that, you know, make sure that you're meeting the needs that people have. Um, but just also make sure too, that you're realistic about how much business you're going to get right off the bat so that you're not swimming in debt, you know, right away. That's why I think we're starting small and then getting bigger as we need to, as opposed to just like getting this huge facility and then hoping that the spots will fill. Um, so I think right. that's probably the biggest challenge in my opinion, um, apart from making sure that you're not, you know, making your neighbors angry, um, with barking and things like that. <laughs> yeah. 
So you have a family and two young children and dogs and a business and a boarding facility. How do yes. you prioritize which aspect of your life when it's all important? Um, so, I mean, all, of course, kids come first. Um, so if I have kids that are sick and unhappy, I'm going to try and not take any boarding clients for that week or whatever. Um, but, you know, what's <laughs> really interesting is managing how I can make everything go at the same time. Um, I have like this kind of multitasking thing that I do where it's like I have one kid on my back and one kid in my hand um, and then I'm also walking a dog. So I kind of try and <laughs> manage as many things at once as I can safely. Um, and then, you know, what's, what's really hard now is making sure I have time to do my behavior plans um, because right. that's something that, you know, takes me a couple of hours to do. And I, I have a time limit. I have, you know, two days to get it to the client before they get frustrated. So, right. um, and kids, as soon as you bring out your computer, they're like, now I need all of your attention. <laughs> so um, managing how I can split my attention between, you know, my clients and doing behavior plans and my kids is something that I'm still trying to balance. Um, I tend to break it up into small sessions, just like I tell my clients, uh, where I, I'll do like 15 minutes on the computer and then 15 minutes of tickle time and then 15 more minutes of behavior plan and then 20 minutes of running outside. Um, so I think that's that's probably the key for me right now is breaking it up into small bits instead of trying to do, you know, two hours at a time just sitting at the computer and ignoring my kids. Um, but then, you know, it's also more difficult because right now Dylan um, is working seasonally. So he works away from home like 80 hours a week. Um, whereas in the summer, I have more time because he's home more. So he helps me with the kids a bit more. So that makes things easier. So right now is kind of like the the heightened chaos, the, the worst that it's going to be. Um, <laughs> so hopefully things will start to calm down soon. But uh, by prioritizing is definitely the hard part. Um, and organizing is not my strong suit. Uh, so I'm I'm trying to get better in that respect, but uh, it's it's challenging, but it's also fun. So are you clicker training your kids? Are you are you running things past the kids and positive reinforcement? I, I mean, definitely tons of positive reinforcement. Um, my son, my three year old, knows how to clicker train the dogs. Awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, I, I, we've done that a lot. He also tries to clicker train the chickens, but they don't really fully, his timing is off a little bit, so they're not fully um, <laughs> on board. Uh, but he does, he does clicker train uh, the dogs, which is hilarious. He has his little treat pouch, which is a fanny pack. Um, and he, you know, he'll tell them to go to their crate and he'll, he'll give them clicks and treats and sit downs and stays and gives them clicks and treats. Um, but it's funny because I, one of the first, uh, like training of my kids that I did was, uh, we taught my son when he was probably mm, 10 months, 11 months, um, that if he wanted more of something that he had to clap. So we were using watermelon as the reinforcer. Um, so every time he wanted more, he had to clap and then it was, yes, good. You know, have some watermelon. <laughs> um, so it works with all species. That's my favorite thing about, um, you know, operant conditioning is it works with all animals regardless of species. So it does work with children. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's really great. Um, and so I imagine, you know, obviously you mentioned being organized is, is rough and hard. Um, what are some strategies or tactics you use um, to keep track of everything? Um, so I, I love technology, uh, but it does not work in my favor. Mm. I, I am a person that I have to physically experience something in order to remember it. So I have to write everything down. If I don't write it, I will not remember it. 
Um, I'm a visual learner. So if I don't like see it and do it on my own, I won't remember it. So I can put something in my phone um, with an alert and everything. And I just ignore the alert and I don't <laughs> remember it. So that's, that's one of the things I really um, tried to work hard on is making sure that I have lists for everything, that I write everything down, that I give myself, you know, prioritize this client, you know, I saw them first or, or um, you know, this client, it's not an emergency. So I can kind of, you know, hold off on them for a little bit so I can help this other one. Um, you know, I have calendars that I write everything in. Um, but yeah, writing everything down is kind of my key tactic at the moment. Uh, if I don't write it, I don't remember it. And I take notes on everything. Every time I go to a consult, I take constant notes. Um, yeah, when I get home, if there's something that I forgot, I'll make a note of it and make sure to email them about it. Um, so writing everything down is kind of my, that's my brain right now. <laughs> yeah. So you're definitely not one of those uh, paperless trainers. <laughs> no. And I wish I could be. I, I do. Like I, I consider myself like a technology buff. I'm pretty good at technology in general, mm -hmm. but it's just because I have somewhat of like a photographic memory. Um, for some reason, stuff on my phone just doesn't register. Uh, so I have to like actually see it in writing by my hand or it just doesn't click for me. Uh, which is, I mean, it's interesting because that, that also translates to how I work with clients, um, because not all of them learn the same. So right. I have to make sure that I am applying how I teach them to how they learn, not just how I think they should learn. Right. Uh, and that's, I think something that I, w I wish more trainers would do is that, you know, they get frustrated with their clients because their clients aren't picking up on things, you know, as quickly as they would like. And it might just be because their learning style is different than the person's teaching style. So there needs to be some sort of um, you know, compromise in that. Absolutely. Right. So what, because the Modern Dog Trainer podcast is geared towards trainers as opposed to mm -hmm. the public, what advice would you give to someone just starting out that might want to work aggression cases that has an interest for them? How, how would you, what would you recommend the sort of pathway to that be? Uh, I actually get asked that a lot. I get a lot of people that are interested in becoming dog trainers professionally and they always ask me how, you know, where they should start. And my, I always say every single time, work at a shelter, volunteer at a shelter, spend at least six months working with every single dog that you can at the shelter because you'll experience um, every breed of dog at the shelter, right. every temperament. Um, you know, there's some dogs that are in the most stressed out situation they've been in their lives. So they're not going to be a perfect um, you know, controlled dog. They're going to be a dog that's in constant chaos that hasn't had the best socialization, that hasn't had the best breeding and genetics. Um, so you kind of get a crash course in a variety of different dogs in probably the most stressed out situation that they'll be in in their lives. Um, so I think that really gives people a better idea of what it's really like to work with the public because you're not just going to be working with labs that are, you know, nice and mellow and easy temperament. Um, you're going to be working with mutts and pitties. And that's, you know, one of the first right. trainers that I, I had apprentice under me, she decided she didn't want to be a trainer after working with me at the shelter because she was afraid of pit bulls. Oh, no. I said, well, you know, that's, that's something that you need to discover now, you know, because right. if, if you have that fear, that's, I mean, that's the most common dog in America right now. Right. Um, you're going to encounter one, whether, you know, you, you want to or not. And it's, you can definitely say to someone, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not comfortable working with you um, or your dog, but I don't think that's a good business model. Um, <laughs> right. You know, like, I'm sorry, you have a pit bull, I can't work with you. That's, that's sad. Um, so I think when you work at a shelter, you really get to experience every breed. You know, I, I had never really worked with small dogs uh, before I worked at the shelter. 
And I fell in love with them. I was like, these little chihuahuas are brilliant. You know, yeah, they're feisty <laughs> and they bark a lot, uh, but they're really smart. You know, they're, they're a big dog and a tiny body. Um, so I think that's the best place to get started. And then, you know, once you've gotten your feet wet with all these different breeds and temperaments and behaviors, um, then I would, you know, recommend doing a more formal course. You know, I, I recommended to a few people to do KPA because I think it's really comprehensive um, and it's also technical. So you may be the most um, naturally wonderful dog trainer in the world where you have this, you know, natural knack for helping dogs. But until you understand the technical side, too, and why what you're doing works, um, I don't think that you're you're really a, a dog trainer, so to say, because, you know, you unless you know what operant conditioning is, unless you know what shaping, luring, capturing is, um, I don't think that you can really accurately describe to the client what's going on and why it's working. Um, so I think, you know, having a technical uh, education and, you know, in addition to the really getting your feet wet at the shelter, I think is probably the best route for most people. Um, and if you want to work aggression, apprentice under another trainer or behavior consultant that does aggression, learn from how they work with clients. Um, because it's not just, I'm going to go to this person's house and I'm going to fix their dog right away. It's, you have to take history. You have to understand every component that's caused the aggression. Um, and then you have to also understand how to manage the aggression while you're working with it. So, um, making sure the dog doesn't bite anybody while you're working with it. And I think that's something that you learn from another trainer that you won't really learn from a book or um, a webinar, um, you know. So go to the shelter, work at the shelter, do a formal course, KPA. Gene Donaldson's also another really good course. Um, Pat Miller has some great ones. Um, and then after that, shadow another trainer for more severe behavior issues and really, un you know, take in how they do things and see if you can apply it and if you're comfortable doing it yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, those are some really, really great tips. I personally started out uh, volunteering at a shelter when I was 12. So growing up, awesome. I had a, you know, hands on every weekend with all kinds of dogs. Um, also, uh, one of my questions is you, you mentioned a lot of, you know, hands on work with the dogs and, um, and all of that. But I think that being a dog trainer also involves, you know, making sure that the people are involved and compliant with your recommendations. So what are some um maybe strategies you use to, to ensure compliance, especially, you know, with aggression cases, it's so important. Yeah. I, I really, for me, I'm very honest with my clients yeah. um, because they need to understand the gravity of the situation. It's not just my, my dog got scared and it nipped at somebody. No, right. your dog, you know, put a hole in somebody and now has a, a mark on their record. They had to go through a 10 day quarantine. Um, you know, if your dog has another bite, your dog is now a, a liability um, you have to get extra insurance. You have to have a dangerous dog sign. It's, it's a big deal. Right. Um, so I stress to them, you know, yeah, a, a muzzle looks scary on your dog. But if you need to take your dog out in public, and, and that's the hard thing is so many people, um, they, they want to rush training. You know, right. they want everything done right away. And they don't understand that if you do that, you're just setting your dog back. Um, so that's why safety and, and stuff like that is a really important tech, you know, part of it, management, you have to manage the thing, uh, the problem while you're treating it because treatment takes a long time. It's not something that is just fixed magically. And that's one of my, you know, scruples with the aversive, um, based training is, is they promote this, you know, quick fix stuff. But what's right. really happening is you're suppressing the behavior temporarily. It's still going to pop up at some point in another area. So, 
you may have something that looks like it's been fixed, but now your dog has all this inner turmoil that has to come out. It has to be expressed in some way. Um, so I stress to them that, you know, if we're not working on this long term, it's going to come back. Spontaneous recovery is a real thing. If you aren't constantly working on making your dog better, um, they are going to come back and start having more fear problems, more aggression. They are going to bite. Um, so I do use a lot of positive reinforcement with my clients too, in addition to honesty. So Mm -hmm. if I'm there and I see that they've done something amazing, I make a big deal about it. Um, one of my favorite, um, uh, Denise Fenzi said that when she's training dogs and people, you can't tell who she's talking to when she gives her praise. You can't tell if it's the person <laughs> yeah. or the dog because it's the same. And that's the exact same thing I do. So when I'm instructing a client on how to, um, you know, muzzle train their dog and they, they get like this aha moment where they go, okay, I don't need to rush it. That the dog should be voluntarily putting their, their snout in the muzzle, um, on their own. And it should be this really relaxed, positive experience. And then they go, Oh, okay. I go, yes, you know, good job. You did a good job. Your dog is happy. Um, so I give a ton of feedback. I think that's really important. We can't be silent when we're helping the people. We need to make sure that we're giving them as much praise as we give their dog. Um, and then, yeah, honesty is a really big, you know, making sure that they understand that if they're not compliant, things aren't going to get better. Right. It is their responsibility just as much as it's my responsibility. Um, you know, I, I can come and I can work your dog and I can get your dog to the level you want it to be. But when I leave, you're responsible for that dog. You're responsible for following up with the training. You're responsible for making sure it's progressing because I can't be there all the time to make sure that your dog is managed. It's your responsibility. Right. Um, and a lot of people, they go, oh, you're right. And thank you. <laughs> um, you know, because they need that honesty. They don't want to be, um, they don't want a show put on for them. They don't want um, right. you to just, you know, come and, and do your your woo-woo magic on them and fix their dog. They want to understand. They want to make things better. So um, I think if we can be honest and give a lot of really good feedback, then you get more owner compliance. Um, and try to be relatable. Like, that's another really important thing is, um, don't villainize the people. Um, you know, a lot of my clients, they went through aversive training first. Um, and I can say that, yeah, that affected why your dog is the way it is now. Um, but we all make mistakes. I started, you know, one of the first trainers that I apprenticed under when I left the Humane Society was an aversive trainer. Um, but that's also how I found out that's not something I want to do. That's how I learned the stress signals in dogs. And I realized the impact that it can have on their lives. So don't, vilify the the client and say you know you're doing this and this and this wrong um you know relate to them say i've you know done something similar we've all made mistakes um but by doing that it kind of helps them feel more normal and less like um they're insignificant in the picture absolutely yeah i think those are some really really great tips (laughs) (laughs) on a side note i think we need a t-shirt that says i do woo woo magic I would wear it every day <laughs> because I, I I really feel like I do, especially when people don't understand like clicker training. They're like, "What is this magical button that you've brought with you that makes my dog do everything wonderful?" And it's right. Like, and then I, I break it down into you know the the actual terms, and you know this is a, a bridge or a marker, you know depending on what we're using it for. And then they're just like, oh, "Amazing!" You know. <laughs> yeah, it definitely needs to be a t-shirt. I like it. Well, that's, um, it's funny because my, my training shirt that I wear to all my clients, it says got dog on the front of it. Um, 
And people are always like, I need one of those shirts. So I, we should start selling, you know, the Woo Woo Magic Got Dog shirts. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Well, um, I think those are all our questions for today, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great podcast. I, I binge listened to everything as soon as I, um, you know, heard about it. I was like, Oh, I have to listen to every single one. And oh, really? uh, you guys, <laughs> yeah, you guys, you know, give a ton of great information. So I'm really glad that you're out there. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. I just want to quickly say thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast. If you enjoy the tips we share on here, please take a minute to add your review to iTunes. It increases the visibility of the podcast in iTunes and shows us that we're producing material that you find helpful. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Modern Dog Trainer podcast. Don't forget, you can check out the show notes at themoderndogtrainer.net slash podcast. You can also share your thoughts and support our podcast by leaving a review on iTunes. Until next time.